All right, game twos of the first round have been underway. I don't think there's been any surprises, but the talk around the first round of the playoffs has been been a little bit crazy. If we got Dylan Brooks and him calling LeBron James old, we got the media and the outpour of people going crazy about Sabonis and Draymond Green. But for, well, not necessarily Sabonis and Draymond Green, but Draymond Green gets suspended because of the actions of what happened between him and Sabonis. We had a couple of award, win- award winners being announced. Um, De'Aaron Fox, Clutch Player of the Year. Mike Brown, Coach of the Year. Are you surprised Sacramento went home with two award winners? Uh, no. Uh, those were my both of my picks for the awards that they won. Uh, I think they earned those awards. De'Aaron Fox led in every clutch metric there was to lead in this year. We've been calling him Clutch Player of the Year for two, three months now, so that was expected, and in Sacramento, um, I thought I thought it was a few coaches that uh, you know had a good shot at Coach of the Year, but definitely Mike Brown thought he you know he earned that with the jump that Sacramento made, not just becoming you know I mean a good team, but being the third seed, home court advantage in the playoffs, you know fifty wins uh, and all that type of thing. So th- those were I thought both of those two were going to win those. No, for sure. Definitely, like I said, definitely had both of them all year long. Um, Darren Fox and Coach Mike Brown. And shout out to Coach Mike Brown getting Sacramento to play at such a high level all season long and in the first two games of the playoffs. Cause they had number one offense all year, been a top three seed all year. They up 2-0 against the defending champions. And, you know, like I said, usually with these teams like this, sometimes they don't necessarily finish the season out strong. They'll slip in the standings. Or they will, you know, maybe get upset by a lower-seeded veteran team. But it's only two games. But Sacramento looking like they're holding strong and they're trying to make, you know, some kind of run this year. I ain't going to give them any predictions or say how far they can go. But they look like they're definitely going to be a tough outing for as long as they're in the playoffs. Right, yeah. And they, they've been consistent with who they are this year. And that has uh, transitioned over into the playoffs. They are an explosive offensive team. Um, and they've continued to be that in the playoffs with some big scoring games from De'Aaron Fox, big games from Malik Monk, and you've seen the value of Sabonis. Um, and it's it's funny to see them in this point because a lot of people question the trade of Sabonis, and especially with the season that Halliburton had becoming an All Star. But you know Sacramento got what they wanted out of that deal, um, and they're looking good right now uh, so far. Oh, and with that being said, I'm John W. Fresh X. And we are the Hoopers. Like you said, in that trade, which still gets talked about, I don't want to say on a regular basis, but it's still something that'll come up every now and then. Of course, it's not right now because the Pacers aren't in the playoffs. But that was, as you know, as far as the win-win trade for both teams that you can get because they both did get a need. And just speaking of Sabonis, of course, we've all seen the altercation between him and Draymond Green. Draymond, of course, suspended for game three. Everybody, this is the first time I've ever seen so many people openly defend Draymond. I've seen everybody's basically saying the referees are pulling for the Sacramento Kings over the Golden State Warriors. Do you feel like these are crazy narratives, especially if you've been paying attention to Sacramento and how well they've played this year? I want to start there first with the referees. Like I said, being on their side, being the reason they're up 2-0 in the series, but... 
do you feel like if you haven't been watching, of course, that's a narrative. Like I said, I've seen J.J. Reddick say it. Rick Buecher has said it. So it's not like it's just NBA Twitter, but it's actually people who would be considered national media members as well. Yeah, uh, and if you look at it, like the fouls are really close. I think it's like a three-foul difference in in Sacramento's favor. I think Warriors have the Warriors have three more fouls than them. Like they're they're letting them play. Um, the Warriors have been inconsistent in this series like they were all year. I mean, you got a good game from Jordan Poole in game one and then a tough game from him in game two. And then, like I said, to start it, Sacramento just has been who they are, explosive. <clears throat> I said after game one, I didn't expect Sabonis to shoot as bad as he did in game. Like I think he was like, what, three for 17? He comes out of game two and he's eight for 12, gets 20 points. They weren't. They aren't gonna bully this team, and especially with the familiarity kind of with Mike Brown, who's been there as part of a lot of their championship runs. But this narrative that has been, like you said, it's been a few national media members and definitely the the uh, NBA Twitter people thinking that the NBA would try to propel Sacramento over one of his biggest money makers. They don't care about their Cinderella story. They care about making money. At the end of the day. Um, Sacramento has just been better than the Warriors, and the Warriors need to tighten up. But Sacramento also did what they were supposed to do. You're supposed to stay in the top seed. You're supposed to hold down home court. Um, the Warriors could easily win game three and four, uh, even without Draymond in game three. Um, they just have to they have to lock in in every position. They're going to need more out of Jordan Poole. Um, you know, Steph is probably going to – I expect Steph to take over more at certain points. They're working Wiggins back in, and, you know, he's looked pretty good. He played 40 minutes in his second game back. Um, but, no, nah, I don't buy into the narrative that the the, uh, the refs are on the side of the Sacramento Kings and right. they're pulling for them to make this push. I think Sacramento just looks better than the Warriors right now. And if the Warriors don't start, don't stop crying because it's also – you know, the, in the news that the Warriors are upset with how they were upset with Draymond's suspension. Um, I, I read on Twitter about they're saying that they feel like Sabonis is being able to play with his elbows out and use the ball as a weapon or whatever. The Warriors are doing a lot of crying right now. Like, that just is what it is. Like, nah, come yeah, to right. play, man. Hoop. No, nah, yeah, right. If they're not calling it, play back, play tough with them. No, nah, yeah, and you know, and we don't want to see them go. We don't want to see them go out as. Don't be that team if this is the end of your yeah, run. Don't right. be the, the the complaining older statesman's team. But I want to bring go back to a point you brought up about the Golden State's inconsistency inconsistencies all year, to where it's like people just automatically thought that this team, <clears throat> excuse me, that people thought that this team was just gonna flip the switch because of championship pedigree. And time and time again, it shows that it's tough, especially if you're not going to have home court advantage and the team you're playing with, playing against, you don't necessarily have too many advantages against them as well because Sacramento, is they off their defense wasn't the best year this year, but they have good individual defenders where they need them at with Davion Mitchell, De'Aaron Fox as your guards. Harrison Barnes is in the slouch on defense. Uh, Murray has the potential to be a good defender with his length and his size. Months opponents defends his position well. So it's like Golden State as a team hasn't really been on path this year to be a powerhouse juggernaut 
with you know with or without Steph in the lineup, especially without Steph. So now with Draymond Green gone for the game three, I think more of those inconsistencies are gonna show because who's gonna come in and I say not necessarily replicate the production because you can put Kaminga out there if he's really engaged and focused, he can get you 14 and six or whatever. But who's gonna be able to replicate kind of I guess what he does on that defensively as the main person speaking and getting everybody in position, even as a dribble handoff partner with Steph or, you know, just a screen setter in general. So Golden State's put themselves in a tough situation going down 2-0, but like I say, Sacramento's been the better team. And to get over to the Draymond Green suspension, which like I say, I've never seen so many people like openly defend Draymond Green the way they are. Is this just one more thing in the line of Draymond Green just being Draymond Green? Because I don't feel like people should be capping for him like this for real. Like, he did nothing wrong. Right. Yeah. When it first happened, I actually kind of wondered, when I saw it, I wondered would they suspend him. And I was like, eh, probably not because he overall didn't make a – like, he talked to the ref for a minute after they kicked him out, but he didn't make a big scene, I guess. But I felt like when I saw it, I was like, they're probably going to suspend him because it looked like he intentionally – kicked, uh, step, stepped on him. And I guess why everyone is saying it was justified is because Sabonis held his ankle uh, or whatever, and he couldn't move. Um, Sabonis should have got a tech. He should have got a tech uh, for holding his ankle. Um, I probably wouldn't even be mad if they threw him out. But I wasn't surprised that they didn't. Because I can, how he fell, just from how I saw it, it, I couldn't, it didn't look, it looked like he was just falling and he was trying to protect his face so he didn't get stepped on in the face, I guess. He didn't get stepped on in the ribs. The person who was closest, I don't even know if he, well, he probably, and more likely he probably did know it was Draymond, I don't know. But it looked like he did, you know, try to get the person closest to him and maybe he get a tripping foul or a holding foul so the person can't run off and step on him, I guess. I don't know. And then Draymond did step on him because he was like, hey, you holding me type of thing. Stepped on him. Stomped on him. <laughs> but when he, at the end of the day, everybody's saying what they would do, what they would have done in that situation. And that's just, I guess, the whole point of the bigger, the bigger picture. Him holding your ankle like that probably would have pissed you off. And you probably would have wanted to fight him in the moment. But that's also why Draymond got suspended in the NBA Finals, and some people think that turned the series. So at some point, and like they say, it's constant. They say it's a consequence for him holding his ankle. It's a consequence for Draymond stepping on him, which is him getting thrown out of the game and him getting suspended. So it's like, when do you choose to have your composure. Because when he grabbed him, he wasn't really running for real, if we want to be real about the situation. So he could have waited there, shook his foot up off him, got up off of him, made it real known to the ref that he was holding him. But instead, he chose to step on him because they've been physical. It's already been said that they think that Sabonis is getting away with throwing his elbows or whatever. And that's just the role the antagonist that Draymond has always played. As they say it's easier said than done, but I don't think he should have stepped on him. Like, especially you got to know your reputation too. He's literally suspended because of his reputation. Let's, let's say Draymond is right. 
he should have did what he did. They literally suspended you because of your reputation. You he you ha- he have this smartest person in the room demeanor, and he still don't really know how pe- how the league feels about him. <laughs> You're not gonna get the benefit of the doubt. You have to also know that as a leader of the team, as a leader of this team that's struggling, you can't afford to be suspended. No matter what I think about Draymond and his game, he can't afford to be suspended. Easier said than done, I know, right? So you can disregard everything I'm saying, but I just think. Being in that situation in the finals, I would have learned from it to keep my composure. And I guess that's why I say all year, the rah-rah stuff is cool until you need you to keep it cool. Fight him after the game. Right. Get up off of him and the ref don't give you the call you like, go get in his face then. But you you just added fuel to the fire. You gave them a reason to suspend you based off of your history. And we can end it right here. I want to... Read a quote that's apparent from Bob Myers, allegedly. <clears throat> Each time he's messed up, my hope is he learns from it and becomes better. I know, yeah, I didn't have any other thoughts. I just wanted to. Yeah, it, it, that, <laughs> when I saw I literally thought that. When I saw it, I was like, if they look at it and they think about his history, he just, they're going to add in the fact that you you was getting suspended for technical fouls and shit. Like, you got to know what these people think about you. You're not getting the benefit. I want to go over, switch gears and go over to the Minnesota and um, Denver Nuggets series. We didn't necessarily talk about them in game one, their game one game, because we kind of figured how that would go. Yeah. Game two, Minnesota showed a little fight, which is all we asked them for, just come out and not get blown out. Anthony Edwards finished with 41. Jamal Murray scored a career playoff high at home. 40. That was his first time scoring over 30 at home in the playoffs. So happened to get 40. Jokic looked good. Jamal Murray, for real? Yeah, his first time getting 40 at home in the playoffs. Like you said, of course we don't expect like the we don't expect anything surprising out of the Timberwolves as far as them to beat them. But they looked a lot better last night um, in game two. Denver defense was slipping a bit. Led them, I think they allowed them to shoot like eighty one percent from the field. If you're Minnesota, how do you replicate that success and not only keep it a, as a close game, but maybe even pull off a victory at home? I think what. Minnesota Hall get the problem is spacing, honestly. Um, it just looks better when they play spaced out. They play pick and rolls with Anthony Edwards and Mike Conley with uh, with um, Rudy Gobert. And you said it earlier when we were talking, I think they need to just throw out all Carl Anthony Town back to the basket plays and he needs to play elbow line extended. Now, obviously, there's going to be times where you're in the position and it's a mismatch and it's a smaller person or you're on a switch or something. He on your back, you know, drop step, dunk on him, cool, all that. But, like, playing cat. <laughs> in the low post? In the low post plays. Like, mid post, cool. I, I would play Carl Anthony Town like a power forward the rest, rest of this. Because that's, that's what he is right now. And that, yeah, that's what he got to do because they have to space it out like that. And you got to just put the ball in Mike Conley and Anthony Edwards' hands, mainly particularly Anthony Edwards. And you're successful like that. I think he's the youngest player after last night having 40 points, five three-point games, something like that. Uh, I saw that on Twitter earlier. But that's going to give you the best chance to kind of go at them back with the firepowers to kind of space them out. Because if you space them out, then maybe you can put Joker and even Michael Porter in some situations they don't want to be in defensively. And 
that'll give at least give your shooters a chance to shoot. And you know, Torian Prince he made some shots yesterday. Mike Conley, him in space, um, things like that. But yeah, I would I would face up Carl Anthony Towns because that's his best bet, especially against Gordon, because then he can just shoot over him. Instead of, like, he's not bullying him in the post, even though he may think he could. He's not. But you're taller than him, so you can shoot over him. Um, and then you also, he also has a long stride, so you get a good rip through. He can get a good dribble and get to the no, basket or whatever. So, like, yeah, so. Same. His primary defenders in games who were Jeff Green and Aaron Gordon, like, sometimes, I get it. You want to, you want to, you know, you want to back him down. You want to do the power move. But sometimes you just got to, Look at him and just shoot over. Just shoot who's, over, yeah. Like who's the legit? Either one of them guarding him. Who's really going to, right. you know, slow down him as a jump, as you know, facing up where he can already see the basket. Even if you want to put the ball on the ground and still attack right. the basket, like they're not going to be able to stop him like that. Because even though he's he's taller than Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon still had his cat is slim, so Gordon still seems like he got some size on him. So it's like you're not like bullying him in the post. But you can shoot over him, even though Gordon, you know, Gordon is a short. He's six nine, legit six nine. But Cat's seven feet, isn't he? He's like yeah. so, <laughs> like shoot over that man. He's kind of. But I'm playing through Anthony Edwards, trying to put them in space, giving him a chance to t- attack and transition. Um, and you know, you, that's how you can get Joker in foul trouble, get him off the court and stuff like that. Nah, yeah, surely. And going over to Denver, like I say, probably a closer game than they wanted to be. Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray finished for 40. Michael Porter hit some clutch shots for them in the second half. If you're Denver, of course, you don't want to extend the series any more than it already's got to be. Then it could be you up 2-0. Do you just go ahead and, like you say, just come into the game and go ahead and throw haymakers at Minnesota? Because, like I said, I know a couple times we saw them with Jokic and Gordon Hayward and pick and roll actions at the high key, and you know they got some backdoor slips every time. Do you just go ahead and from the gate try to get Carl Anthony Towns involved in some of those situations and get some quick points to try to get the um, home crowd out of it? Yeah, I would because he's terrible in the pick and roll too. Like especially you can play pick and roll with um, him and him and Gobert. Like you, you gonna, they they left him real confused a couple of times on some of those plays. So I would go at him, and that might even be a way to get him in foul trouble, and then and uh, you know you can get him off the court. Cat's gonna have to step up defensively. They're gonna need more out of him, but until he shows if I'm Denver, I'm attacking him. No, for sure. Yeah. Now he did have a couple blocks, but it's just like wait. Right, he, yeah, he did. But it's sometimes it's just like his positioning and just knowing where to be at defense. Like like, like I say, Aaron Gordon was just slipping out the picks and he had free oops and that cat couldn't stop back to back plays. And like I say, just with uh, Michael Porter, who we've seen be an accomplished jump shooter at this point as far as his productivity get from game to game basis with his present percentages and score and compared to his shot attempts. He's been putting the ball down on the ground a lot more, even if it's just getting to a mid-range jump shot, he's getting to the basket more. As he gets further into his career, as you can see him progressing from his back surgery more, do you think he becomes how you know how quickly do you think he becomes more elevated in his offense? Do you think it become this year? if he can show that consistency. Because I, I think Mike Malone likes him as a jump shooter, but I think he would like to see him do more offensively. Not saying that he can't, but he would just like to see it just to see 
how comfortable he is in office as an offensive scorer. I mean, I think they're gonna have to lean on him more as they get further into the playoffs and the series get tighter, especially in half court. So I think he had a chance to to really show it. Um, and the shots are always finding him anyway with his activity rebounding and efficient and just how efficient he is anyway. So I think he'll play a bigger role, especially when you get into the conference finals and you need certain buckets that Murray can't get because he isn't tall enough and Joker, even though he can handle the ball on the perimeter, sometimes it's just different when you got that wing because you can put the ball in their hand. So he'll be more important, especially when you get into the series and you're playing Phoenix, potentially the Lakers, Memphis, where you need somebody that can score on the perimeter but got a little bit more size than Jamal Murray because even though he can go off, you know, he's still undersized at the end of the day. And, and unless you step, it's still kind of tough as an undersized player to really take it to the next level. No, I can definitely dig that. But speaking of Phoenix, of course, then the Clippers are looking to have a very competitive series. A lot of the talk around that series has been about, you know, player minutes. Um, I say somebody say that, you know, KD and Devin Booker got to play 42-plus minutes against the Paul George you know, against against the Clippers without Paul George, they probably could. The, um, of course, Kawhi, who basically you know, low managers are watching his minutes throughout the season. Tyron Lue said basically, you know, this is what y'all been waiting on, right? This is what we save him for. Now he can play those heavy minutes. He can be effective all game, which he has been as their best player offensively and defensively. Um, do you have, what, Phoenix and six? Yeah, I think Phoenix and six. I think, and as this, as this series go on, do you think these heavy minutes will play an effect on some of these players? Because a lot of them are jump shooters. Devin Booker is kind of a mid-range jump shooter. KD, Kawhi, who gets to the basket, also does like rely on his mid-range jump shot as well. Chris Paul, you can throw him into that. Uh, Westbrook, who attacks the basket. Eventually, so do you think those heavy minutes will weigh on those players at any point in the series that could change it drastically? Give one team the advantage. Nah, because I think in the first round you get more days off in between. You know, once you get towards the end, there's less days off because there's less teams playing. But it's almost like a minimum two days off um, in between games now. So, and this is what these players are built for, and it's what they want to do. They want to be on the court for those minutes, and that's what you lean on during the during the play during the playoffs. You lean on your stars to play bigger minutes. Um, so I just think, I mean, it, it is nice when you can sit them and you got your role players that's playing effective or whatever, but I think this series is two teams that know they're playing a team that could potentially go to the finals. So it's, it's also not the same as your regular first-round series or if it's a one versus eight or a two versus seven. It's a four versus a five who both legit have title aspirations. They, we, we, I don't think anybody would be surprised to see any one of these teams go to the NBA Finals. So you're going to have to lean on these players a little bit more, especially the Clippers being down Paul George because at the end of the day, Phoenix probably can steal some time from KD, even though they said they're going to play KD and Booker. One of them will be on the court at all times. But you can steal minutes with them being on the court because you can run everything through Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton for a little while. Chris Paul, you see he's putting the game away in the fourth quarter. He's, he's just – I'm, I'm going to respect how Chris Paul hooping right now because through the first three quarters, he's just passing the ball getting anybody through, but in the fourth quarter, he's like, all right, this is when I'm supposed to step in or whatever. 
But Kawhi, I mean, you're getting production out of Westbrook and, and Powell. I feel like both of them are, like, really giving him a lot. But everyone else isn't going to be consistent. You're not going to get the same two nights out of Zubak, out of uh, Terrence Mann, out of Bones Highland. They're going to play good this game. They game. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't play good the next game. But so that 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 means you're gonna need to lean on Kawhi a lot more. But what they're gonna have to do is find Kawhi some easier buckets because it worked in game one because they won. But Kawhi scoring, you can't, they kind of falling into the Phoenix's trap of if you notice they just letting them play one on one. And you know Kawhi doesn't do a whole lot of dribbling, but it is some tough buckets. Most of them are contested. We talked about the numbers of contested shots he took in game one, unassisted baskets. And it's cool because it works. He's shooting a high percentage. He's getting his buckets. But you won one game like that. You lost another game like that. While Phoenix, like the last game, Phoenix almost doubled them in assists. You see Booker getting 38, KD getting 25. You, that That's more so the issue with the wear to me than the minutes. Help Kawhi get some easier buckets, some back cuts. Even Jordan had some back cuts here and there. You know what I mean? Like, nah, I did. Give him a, a back cut, easy dunk, um, quick bucket off of a pick real quick. Like, don't allow them to just play him one-on-one. Send a pick and and actually have to play in a run. That's on Kawhi to be a willing passer, which he's. I think he's been so far. But I feel like they're kind of falling into the trap because he's getting the buckets. Right. And he's doing what he got to do. You know what I mean? I don't think Kawhi's like forcing it and we gotta play like this. But it's like you see Kawhi one on one, like, oh, you gonna guard him like that? Cool, I'm gonna let you do this. But they're doing that because they want Kawhi to keep taking these tough buckets because they are putting hands in his face. And they want the other players to have to play one on one too. So it's like you kinda gotta make your shots as well. No. Of course, like, you just can't insert him into the series. He's hurt. He's not necessarily predicted to play yet. But do you think. You know, the playmaking of Paul George would relieve, you know, would help with some of that. Because, of course, Westbrook out there as a playmaker, but then after that, everybody else is kind of one-on-one scores. Even Westbrook, in a certain, to a certain extent, is still a one-on-one score as the only playmaker out there. But Norman Powell come in as a score. Eric Gordon comes in as a score. Bones Highland comes in as a score. Do you think that's where they're really going to miss Paul George yet later in the series? Yeah, and, I mean, is he playing this series? Because everything I've seen is saying that he's going to miss the whole series. No, yeah, so, yeah he's going to, yeah. So, and that's that's going to be tougher. I, I feel like best case scenario is if it goes seven, he comes in for a game seven. And that is where you're going to miss his playmaking ability. Uh, having another guy that can make that shot um, at the end or make that play that you need to make. And... I mean, we going against stars. You just, at the end of the day, that star power, I feel like it's, it's mattering when it's – because shout out to Westbrook. He, had, he didn't have a great shooting game game one, but he had a good overall game defensively, hustle, and all that type of things. And then he comes back game two, and he has an explosive scoring game, 29 um, in the game. But he could easily have seven to right. 12 this next game. While, you know, if you – you know that KD's against 25. We know that Paul George is – I mean, Paul George. We know that Devin Booker's getting 25. He had 38 the last game. And I think that's what's missing. Kawhi's going to get his 30. And even Norman Powell's going to chip in. But who's going to be the next star power to even if it's not 25, it's 21. Paul George is going to give you seven assists. He's going to give you seven rebounds. That's another defender. Also, because think about that, everybody that they're throwing at Kawhi, he's seeing KD, he's seeing Book, he's seeing Craig. KD's seeing Kawhi and Batum. 
But so who's Booker seeing? You know what I mean? Paul George add that other element to it, so it, it's really gonna hurt not having him in this series. Oh, sure. Like they, the base, best case scenario, and I saw, remember uh, we was watching TNT and Chuck said that Phoenix wanted, I mean that the Suns wanted them. They didn't want to go into play-in. Um, I mean, they chose to, to avoid the play-in, win a game, because they wanted to play them. But it's like, it would've been better to get them the next round when you had Paul George, because the matchups matter. They, like, they didn't want to play the Phoenix Suns in the first round, that's ridiculous. No, for sure. And we can end it right here, but um, at the gym last night for our usual Wednesday runs, I got asked the question, who do I think had been the best players of the playoffs so far? Mm. I said Kawhi and KD, do you kind of feel that same sentiment? Or yeah. did you throw another player in there? That's the top two of the playoffs so far? I, I would say so far, based off of consistency, Kawhi has looked like the best player. Kawhi, Kawhi KD, you could say 1A, 1B, have looked like the best players in the playoffs. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, you just throw Donovan Mitchell in there? And that's what I was going to say. I feel like I would, but I, I I don't know if I would have him like third. I probably would have him B before him. Hmm. Um, interesting. Um, but what you getting out of Kawhi, and I put Kawhi, I guess to KD's uh, a negative to him, it's KD doing it with Booker. Booker almost had 40 last one. Right. But Kawhi is kind of, not that he's by himself, because you are getting production from Westbrook and Powell. But he's the long star on the stage. Yeah, right? but he's the long star. While KD, he had 25, and he could go a stretch of not getting you know, a bucket because Booker is cooking. Right. It's not even because he ain't scoring. It's like Booker's going off. While Kawhi's like, all right, I got to keep feeding y'all these buckets or whatever. So I would give Kawhi the edge because of that. But if we just talk about overall what they're doing, like the first game, KD comes out and he has almost a triple-double. Last game, 25-7-7. Like, he's never going to get the credit for his playmaking that he's getting because he's out there to score. But he's kind of doing it all for Phoenix. Uh, After being new to the team within the trade and not playing a lot. So I would say they won A, won B. And then – the next person, this who would be tough. I'd probably go De'Aaron Fox, honestly. That's too, good. Because 38 first game, what he had last game, 34 last game. That's a good Up 2-0. Um, he's been more consistent than Donovan Mitchell so far, so I would give him the edge over Donovan Mitchell, um, clutch player of the year. Uh, somebody like – Nobody else yet. I'm not even going to lie. I, it, I could easily say Jason Tatum, but I'm not even watching the Hawks-Boston Celtics <laughs> series. So I'm going to be really transparent about that. I don't expect the Hawks to win a game. I don't expect them to challenge Boston. So I'm not even watching that series. So Jason Tatum very well. I'm pretty sure he's averaging 30. He very well could be looking like the best player in the playoffs, but just being transparent, I'm not watching that series. That's the Hawks have no chance. They don't, they're not even playing like they have a chance. Trey not showing up. DeJounte got hot for a second, but he ain't doing nothing. The Hawks just want this to be over. Quinn ready to go to the summer, so he can hire his staff. They want to figure out what they want to do with the team, figure out what GM is going to make the decision because this is a three-headed monster right now. They don't know what's going to I don't care about the Boston Hawks series. So, as an asterisk, I'm going to say Jason Tatum has been a top four player because I'm not watching, so I don't want to discredit him. I don't want to discredit him because I'm not watching. No, I'm not watching not because of you, Jason. 
I'm not watching because of the Hawks, and I'm not wasting my playoff minutes on Hawks basketball. <laughs> Uh, that's absolutely fair. But speaking of Donovan Mitchell, him and Cleveland, him and the Cleveland Cavaliers tied their series up one one with the New York Knicks. The Knicks came out in game one and they were, I would want to say, the more physical team, more aggressive, the rebound again to the basket, defensively, all that. Yeah. Cleveland came out, they opened the court up a little bit more, pick and roll. Their off ball wings were making knocking down the jump shots. Karis LeVert looks more precise. Darius Garland was more involved with the offense. Evan Mobley and Jared Allen were able to connect time and time again on those inside passes that they like to throw to each other. Going back to New York, who is it more important for to get this win in game three? Uh, I would say... I would say... It would be more important for Cleveland mm-hmm. because you want to steal home court advantage back. That's probably why I would lean mainly to them. But I think overall, as far as morale, like I don't think if Cleveland loses, I don't think they feel like they out of it. But I think the Knicks need to keep their confidence up with this win, feel that home crowd and all of those cool things. Cleveland came to the second game like they relaxed. They did what we said they were going to do. Of course, you got Donovan Mitchell, though, but don't forget Darius Garland is an all-star also. Put the ball in his hands, let him make some decisions as well, but play in the open court more. You have been saying, because we have been talking about the shooting, I don't even know if you said it's on air or if we just said it off, but you have been saying these guys won't take the shots, plus he can shoot. Play Danny Green. They played Danny Green. He made some shots. He just, or like you said, not even just the fact of making it, it's knowing that he will take it. Because if he'll take it, he'll eventually make it. He no, just to your point, right on those closeouts. Yeah, like, on the closeouts, yeah, so you take shots it. For the most part. You know he's going to give you effort defensively, so you're not losing with that. So I want to salute bigger staff for that because we would call him out like, all right, are you going to be the coach that make these kind of adjustments? Are you going to keep leaning on Jetty and Okoro to figure it out? Or are you going to play, do what you got to do? So I think Cleveland feels good going into New York. And um, – I think they feel real good. So I, I, I really expect them to win game three to steal the home court advantage back. But I think the Knicks want to feel like all right, our game one wasn't a fluke. We didn't just come in and catch right. them slipping. We really we really here. And, you know, they could lose and come back and win. I'm not saying it's the end of the world if they lose, but I think right. it'll feel good for them if they win, if RJ could feel that home crowd and get a good win. Because if you do lose and RJ plays another bad game, it's like, all right, I ain't hooping in the playoffs. I'm really not involved. I can see him going, being, like, unplayable by the end of the series. Which you don't want because you need RJ to be your next perimeter guy up after Jalen Bronson and even Julius Randle. But like I said, with Cleveland, they made some adjustments putting Danny Green back in the lineup. And to your point, when we were watching it, you know, playback earlier, like, you know, you don't have to just throw them out there and play them big minutes. Just kind of test the waters with them. Give them minutes. Give them some minutes in the first – give them some minutes in the first half to see what he looks like. He's knocking down the shots. He's looking good defensively. You keep playing him and you keep him in the game. And like I said, shout out to bigger staff for figuring that out. And Darius Garland, who was, you know – looked a little tense in that first game, not necessarily knocking down his open shots or getting to the lane as much. He looked a lot better this second game. Going to New York, we know him and Jalen Bronson is going to be a tough matchup. 
what does uh, Darius Garland need to do to establish himself early at the guard and to kind of keep himself in the offense to where it's like they're not just leaning on Donovan Mitchell from the you know from a you know from to start the offense. Uh, I think it's just playing, you know, putting him in pick and roll and putting him in open space, and that gives him a chance to use his jump shot and to create for others, which you know he's gonna do at a high level. He, you know, he that's how he became an all star for them during that last year, and we saw this year. I mean, in that game two win, thirty two points, he was playing on a different level. So I think you just gotta continue to do the same thing because Garland make him feel good early in the Garden. Get some shots to fall, throw some lobs, hit some hit some threes. I think Garland is important for them to get in this win also. Well, surely. And for of course we've seen it, everybody's been this seems like this has been a playoff where there's been a lot of I don't want to call it complaining, but a lot of extra talk about the way that, you know, games are being officiated, where players are playing. Of course, late in the fourth quarter with Cleveland already up twenty and get ready to close the game, I would like they was like Less than a minute 30 left. It might have been two minutes left. The Jared Allen goes up for a block attempt on Julius Randle. Like I, said, I don't think there was any collision at the rim, but they definitely kind of collide into each other at the end where they both fall over. Looking like Julius Randle kind of rolled his ankle a bit. And that's, of course, he was already questionable in game one with that. Do you have a problem with Jared Allen going for that chase down block? Because we've... We've seen time and time again where, you know, you sometimes you get the block, sometimes you don't. It just happens, happens to him with both players on the ground that time. Right. No, because he I, I don't I don't feel like he went at him in a malicious type of way. He was trying to protect the paint for his team. Um I think he <clears throat> I think it was a clean attempt. I don't think he I don't think he fouled. I mean he did kinda I guess they got body to body contact, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think he did anything wrong by going for that block. Honestly, no, I'm sure. And even like I said, just looking at the score and how much time was left in the game. Um, of course, I already know what you're going to say. But do you think any one of those players should have been in? Because it looked like, for the most part, all the starters were in the game at that point. Right, and I think t- they were in because it was right before that Tears called a timeout. I think that's when he should have pulled all the people. But, you know, he still had his people in. So, uh, Cleveland still had theirs in. So, I think Tibbs should have pulled everybody. But, you know, that's not what he had did. So, I, I, I get it. I get why the Cleveland guys were in as well. But, yeah, I think they all should have been pulled. The game were over, was over at that time. No, surely. Do you expect this to be a long series? Because I had Cleveland in six. Do you think this can go like seven up? I got Cleveland in six also. Uh, I can see it going seven because Cleveland isn't – I don't think they're, like, just way, way, way better than them. But I definitely uh, could see it going – I got Cleveland in six, but I could definitely see it going seven right. easily. And easily going seven. I want to get to the Memphis um, Lakers series. Of course, I know my name, you've heard about the anonymous quote about them. I don't know what player it was, but the anonymous player says that they're front runners. They only talk when they're winning. They're quiet when they're losing. And, you know, basically nobody likes them. They're annoying. This, that, and the third. First and foremost, what I don't understand the fascination with players talking when, you know, expect the players to talk trash while they're losing. Like, if you're losing, you don't really have much to stay at that moment. Exactly. <laughs> then the second part, <clears throat> of course, I get it. You know, the anonymous thing, whatever, whatever. This is how you, you know, this is how you keep getting quotes from players or whoever. 
you may get these quotes from. But I feel like that's such an unnecessary. If you, that's one of those things. Like, I think a lot of people in the NBA feel that way about Memphis Grizzlies. I think in general, whereas NBA players get along and they kind of got the same feelings about a lot of the same things, especially when it comes to how they're, you know, just as NBA players. I don't find it surprising when players don't like players or they don't, you know, they can't stand. So I'm like, just, you know, who said this? Because I always go back to, I, you know, Cleveland was going to get ready to sweep Detroit. The Stanley Johnson called LeBron a front runner. Nobody cared that Stanley Johnson called LeBron a front runner, but he called him that. Nobody called him salty or said he was hating or anything. It's like, man, you finna lose and he celebrate, bro. He can celebrate right now. You can't celebrate. Right. So, yeah, I don't get the, the front runner thing. Uh, Memphis obviously have shown times where they have been come off as cocky and arrogant. I mean, as long as you're winning, that's all that matters. Um, but this, people think that they got to be like the Dylan, like especially with the Dylan Brooks comment, like he got to have this over respect for LeBron, I guess. Right. And I mean, he can feel how he feel about him. I don't think it, it really it really matters. He's being competitive. They're playing in a series together. I don't think he has to bow down to him or anything like that. So, if Memphis wins, then what? No, I'm sure what they did win game two. And, of course, like you said, Dylan Brooks called LeBron James old. He doesn't respect anybody until they score 40 on him, which shout out to him for having that much confidence in himself. But that's such a crazy number to say, like 40. Like, I'm pretty sure on a given night, you yourself have given up. 15 of 30 points. Dylan Brooks is clearly just egging them on because who cares about LeBron, bro? We trying to beat the Lakers right now. Y'all want to ask me a question about LeBron? Like, I'm supposed to, like, shout out to LeBron and his career, but we competing right now. I don't have to treat him like he's got LeBron at this moment. He could have been my favorite player growing up. It, it doesn't matter right now. We trying to win a championship. And y'all asking me about LeBron, we just beat the Lakers. I don't care about LeBron. It's just, it's just that simple, really. He... I'm not surprised that he he's playing that role. He knows that people's gonna talk about it. Is it's gonna we've always had them people who played that role into the media where they're gonna just talk it up because they know they're gonna eat it up. It's billboard material and all that type of stuff. And if LeBron come out the next game and drop forty, then hey, he gotta come back and and get get the win or stop him from getting 40 again. No, right. But do you think the Lakers missed out on the opportunity with Ja out for game two to really take advantage of this series, go being able to go up 2-0? Yeah, because that's, you know, you definitely wanted to take advantage with Ja being down and getting that win um, and trying to get the win. But Memphis has been solid without Ja. I think the last two seasons, like 33 and 17 uh, with him out. So you know they have a a complete team of people that's going to play their roles and rate where they can get these wins. But yeah, if you're the Lakers, you want to take it. You definitely wanted to take advantage of um, take advantage of Ja uh, being out. But I think that's all we got for today. You got anything else before we get out of here? Nah, that's all for today. Just other than that, as always, appreciate the supporters. Uh, shout out to everyone that checks out the pod anywhere. You can find podcasts available on Spotify, Apple, and all those other cool places. Make sure you follow us on YouTube. Um, search the Hoopers Pod on Twitter. Follow us at Hoopers Pod. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. All right, with that being said, I'm John W. It's Fresh X. This was the Hoopers Pod.